Mm. Like a backslidden Episcopalian want to shout. Come on now. Some of you Baptists need to get with it, I'll tell you. Hardest thing about that song is when you're getting old, you can't dance like a child anymore. You kill yourself. You trip on your own legs. I mean, it's, it's just hard to walk from there to here. Uh, now, if you young people think I'm talking about dancing like you, you're wrong. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about biblical dancing. Amen? Look at me and say amen. All right. All right. I want you to understand that. Well, we're here for Advent. Already some have said, preacher, we don't do Advent. That's for the Catholics and all of those people. Well, it's right out of the Bible. I can't help it if the Catholics did it first. Sometimes people do things better than we do as Baptists. And uh, usually we try to create our own thing after that. But anyway, we're doing Advent for the next uh, four weeks. Uh, we're going to be looking at faith, hope, joy, and love. And there are Advent candles here, three purple ones, a pink one, and a white one. Today, we're looking at faith. We're going to light a purple candle in just a moment. Next Sunday, we'll be looking at hope, a purple candle. I'm not sure why joy is a pink candle, but they tell me it's pink. And then we'll light the last Sunday before Christmas, the purple candle for love. And then we'll all gather here on the Wednesday night of the Lord's Supper candlelight before Christmas and we will light the center light, the Christ candle. Advent is made to remind us that we go from darkness to light. That's why today there's only going to be one candle lit. Next week there'll be two. Next week there'll be three. Next week there'll be four. And on the final night, all five will be lit. Signifying going from darkness to light and that's what every child of God has done if you're saved here today you were in darkness and emphasize that word were don't stand up and talk about you're still in darkness no you were in darkness now you've moved to light and we praise the Lord for that it's also in the center it reminds us even like a marriage ring uh, that it's in a circle and it never ends the faithfulness of God will never end. The hope, the joy, the love, the fact that Christ died on the cross will never end. And so as we think about this today, Psalm 100, and we've already heard it a couple of times. But let me read the entire thing. There's only five verses. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. There's some things we listen to and it goes in one ear and out the other. But when it comes to the Word of God, we know whom we have believed. And we're persuaded. I know whom I have believed. 
and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that we know that you're in control of everything that goes on around us. Uh, Father, I pray in this service today, many of us came expecting the same kind of service. Oh, God, would you let your Holy Spirit blow fresh in this place? Lord, make it a service like we've never had before. Let your Spirit have freedom to roam and choose who he wants to, to talk to this morning in a special way and tap us on the shoulder. We all need you today, God, more than ever before. I pray today as we look at this matter of faith that you will increase our faith. You will broaden our horizons. And we'll leave this place saying, I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep me against that day. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you well, you're not standing. Thank you. <laughs> You've already sat down. All right. <laughs> I, <laughs> Oh, me, have mercy. What a day. <laughs> what a day. We're looking in Genesis chapter 22 to begin with. And I won't, uh, uh, well, I will. Stand with me as we read the first three verses in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. Just three verses. Genesis 22. That's the first book in your Bible. Easy to find. The Bible says it came to pass after these things that God did tempt and a better translation would be test, Abraham. And he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and give thee into the land of Moriah. Offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I'll tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, went up unto the place which God had told him. Father, hear your word and use it today to break our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to take us on a pilgrimage of faith. How do you come to a place in Genesis 22 where God says, I want you to take your only son, the son Isaac, the son that I promised you, the son that was going to multiply the nations. And I want you to offer him as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice. It's an incredible statement. Here's a man who's been struggling to have a son all his life. There's emotion enough, but his son is a unique son because he's uh, the son through whom the covenant promise of God was to flow. And now all of a sudden, in Abraham's old age, God says, I want you to take him. It appears like God has reneged on his promise. And he's demanding that Abraham take his son and kill him. Mm. How do you come to that place? I will tell you this. You don't come to it overnight. You don't come by faith and say, All right, Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice my Isaac just like that. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, you'll begin to see God dealing with Abraham and Abram at this time. Uh, he first of all calls him to obedience. 
He says, Abraham, I want you to obey. In the first verses there of chapter 12, the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, from thy father's house unto a land I'll show thee, and I'll make thee a great nation. I'll bless thee, make thy name great, and I'll bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee. Wow. Here's an old man ready for retirement. We're not talking about 65 or 70. We're talking about almost 100. And he's got all his family there and all his barns that he's built all his life and all his crop and all his uh, fields and all of his children and grandchildren and all of those are there and they're settled. And I imagine, surely, when you get to be 100 years old, your wife has looked at every home and garden TV show there is and you have changed your house just the way she wants it by the time you get to be 100 years old. He's got everything set up. God says, pick it all up and move. Abraham said, yes, God. Wow. He calls him to be obedient. It's an incredible moment in time. I want to tell you this morning, God's taken our nation, and he's going to take it through some paths of territories we've never seen before. They're unfamiliar to us. And I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea what's going to happen. I pray that what's going to happen is that we hear the trump sound and the call of God and the shout and we're caught up to meet him. That's what I'm praying is going to happen. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. I've been praying that for a long time. Others before me have been praying it a long time too. We are blessed though, folks. These people here had not seen the Messiah yet. We have the Messiah. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. The cross has already been done. It's settled. The devil doesn't have any power. He is defeated. So we're headed from victory on to the glorious place of heaven. These people were waiting for the Messiah. I don't know what God's going to put us through, but I do know this. Our God is sovereign, and he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes it doesn't matter where God moves us. No matter what circumstances we face, God is in control. He's able. I'll be honest with you, I've been scared to death for the last two years. Every morning I wake up thinking, I, I don't want to talk to you yet, God, because I'm afraid you're going to tell me I have to go somewhere else. And I got everything like I like it right here. And I don't want to go anywhere else. But I want to tell you, if God says go, you got to go. Abraham, Abram at this time, is obedient to God. The second thing he learns, though, not only obedience, but he learns to count on God. If you flip over to chapter 14, Abraham had a nephew. Remember his name, Lot? And uh, they're there. They're traveling together. They still hadn't got to the place yet. But Abraham's nephew, he's young. He's inexperienced. He knows everything. He been there, done that. Some of us have been there, done that. And by the time we get old enough to realize we didn't know everything, we're too old to go back and fix the things we did know. So you young people who know everything, Lot says, hey, here we are. We're divided. Abraham, Uncle Abraham, you take this place over here. It looks barren, looks desert, looks like weeds. And, and Abraham, we're, I'm going to take my bunch and we're going over this way. The grass is green. The corn's real high over there. Looks like they got sugar cane down there a few miles. I, we're going to take this side over here. And that would have been all right. That's a good reason 
Because you want to be where fields are, are fertile, except that's not what God said. And so the Bible says that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Anytime you leave God, you don't necessarily run straight to Sodom. You pitch your tent towards Sodom. And then you get a little closer to Sodom. And then you get a little closer until you're inside Sodom. Lot finds himself there. He's in Sodom. He looks uh, with his eyes. He looks with his flesh. And he concludes that. Now in verse 8, the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, and there are five kings there in verse 8 there, and what has happened here, I don't have time to go through that. I'm going to try to get you out of here on time because I kept you so long last week. Somebody say, don't worry about that. <laughs> I hear you on television saying, don't worry about that. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're there. These five kings have been paying taxes for 12 years. And so they decide that they're not going to pay any more taxes. We got the Boston Tea Party all over again. And we're not going to pay any more taxes. So they wound up their crew, and they're going to go, and they're going to defeat this king. And uh, as they do, this king whoops the daylights out of them. In fact, you go on down to verse 14, and the Bible says uh, they decide, uh, 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 verse 12, they also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. He's already moved to Sodom. He's out there fighting with an inferior army. He gets captured. All of his, his livestock, all of his oxen, all of his family, his servants, everybody gets gone. And Uncle Abram hears about it. Now, most of us in this place today will say, Oh, Lot got just what he deserved. I told that kid not to go over there. I've told that kid, if I told him one time, I've told him a hundred times. Don't fool with them sodomites over there. Do you know what Abram does? Abram gets his men together who are trained soldiers, 300 plus of them, and he goes and he defeats the king that defeated the other five kings. And he brings Lot and his family and all back with him. Isn't that glorious? You say, what does that make? It just means what Stacy sang a while ago, that when we're running from God, God's chasing after us. Aren't you glad this morning God chases after us? I mean, aren't you glad that God doesn't give us everything we pray for? <laughs> we pray, oh, God, i got to have this. I need this. This is your will. I want this. And then about a year later, you think, Lord, thank you for not giving that to me. Mm. Now, after his return from the defeat, two kings come out to meet him. One of them is the king of Sodom. You ever dealt with anybody that wanted something from you, but they didn't have anything to offer? Be like you want to sell a $50,000 house, and somebody wants it, and you say, well, what can you pay down? Can you pay $5,000 down? No. Can you pay $1,000 down? No. Can you pay $100 down? No. Have you got a $10 bill in your pocket? No. I mean, I don't. The king from Sodom, listen to me. He don't have anything to bargain with. He just got himself killed out there. The army's wiped out. He don't have anything to bargain with. And yet he's trying to bargain with Abram. <laughs> you say, preacher, what does that mean? 
Could I tell you this morning that the devil is already a defeated foe? Do you know what he has to argue with you over? Deception, deceit, and lies. That's what his tool house is. He don't have any other resources. He can't do anything to you that you don't allow him to do to you. I mean, if you walk by faith and you're walking with God, the devil has no control over you. That's a, no, that, that's one of them Flip Wilson things. You young people look that up when you get home. You have no idea. <laughs> that, that, that's one of, listen, the devil wants you to lie, to, to lie to you and to thank you that he can make a deal with you when he has nothing to offer you. He's been defeated. Nothing to offer. Now the next king that comes is Melchizedek. Melchizedek comes with wine and with bread. And you know that's kind of what you need after you've been fighting a battle. You don't need somebody that don't have nothing. You need somebody that's got some wine and bread, something that's going to give you sustenance. And so the Bible says, they don't have time, but the Bible says that, that he bows down. He gives Melchizedek a tithe. Oh! Now, there are a lot of you here today that are misinformed. You're thinking the tithe is an Old Testament law, and we're not under the law anymore. I remind you this morning, Melchizedek came much before the law ever came. Well, amen. Melchizedek came a long time before Moses got the law. The tithe was 10% with Melchizedek. It's still 10% today. It's still 10% today. Now, God says, I want you to understand through all of this something about my nature. He says, I possess all the heavens and the earth. He don't own the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills too. He owns it all. And so Satan is defeated. Abram is incredible here. He says literally, I don't want anything you got. I don't want a piece of your thong sandals. Thongs then, we're talking about sandals, amen? <laughs> you young people look that up too. We're talking about sandals. He said, I shall tell you what, it's the King James, I'll tell you. Uh, he, he, I don't want nothing you got. It represents the world. I don't want anything the world's got to offer. Can you say that this morning? Can you say, I don't want anything the world's got to offer? I mean, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. We, we've heard that. So he comes to understand that God possesses everything. You say, preacher, we know that. No, you don't. You think you know that. But you act like you got your own stuff. Lord, I, I've got this. Now, I'm going to give you this because i got some extra left over. But, but I'm not going to sacrifice anything. Could I remind you here that in Genesis 22, there's not two sons or three sons. There's one son. If you got, well, I better not go there, all right? He understands here that there's a lesson of dependence. And then, then thirdly, he understands that he's got to move out of the driver's seat. He's got to let God have control. You ever been driving along? And somebody over here tells you how to drive? <laughs> You're driving along. 
Somebody back there tells you how to drive. That's your mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, God love her, never drove, and I'm thankful for that. But she could tell you how to drive. Everything about it. I'm reminded of that policeman that pulled over that dear, sweet saint of God. She was clipping about 85 down the road, just waving. I remember the last time that I told my mother we were at a family reunion. She's like yesterday out at... Uh, where do we go? Grapeland out there. Solomon Lake. And uh, Salmon Lake. Yeah. And I thought I'd follow Mama home. And she spent more time on the shoulder than she did on the road. And I said, Mama, it's really probably about time that you let Lonnie start carrying you around. <laughs> or Leslie one. They all live there. And this dear lady, she was clipping down the road, and the policeman stopped her and said, Sir, ma'am, you're driving really reckless. You've got a bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. I would suggest you move over and let him drive, because you're going to kill him. <laughs> hey, God doesn't want to be your co-pilot today. Move over. God wants to take over your life. And Abraham learns that. You've got to get out of the driver's seat there. You remember when God called Moses? Moses had given all these reasons. I can't do this, God. I got a stammering tongue. God said, you can do it. I can prepare you to do it. No. And then Moses said, well, Lord, if I do go, what am I supposed to tell him? He said, you tell him I am sent you. And Abraham learns that here. He believed in the Lord and reckoned it to him as righteousness. That's a surrender to the Lord. The I am. And I want to tell you the good news this morning. The same I am that was here for Abraham, the same I am that was here for Moses, is the same I am that's roaming these aisles today for you. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, Preacher, I've got a relationship that's toxic and I don't know what to do, the I am says, if you'll follow me, I'll show you what to do. Maybe you're sitting here and your finances are in, in trouble. The I am is here to meet you where you are. I am. A lot of people want to know what the definition of lordship is. It's a big fight in the convention, too. Can you be saved without making Jesus Lord? Some say, yes, you can. You're just backslidden. Some say, no, you can't. I don't know. But I'll tell you what I figured out on this thing of lordship. It is two different avenues. There is a revelation and there is a reason. And when you come to lordship, you've got to live by revelation and not by reason. Now, there's two reasons for that. Number one is this book is the true word of God. It was. It is, and the Bible says that forever, forever it is settled in heaven. It is the word of God. So if you want to know the truth, here it is. Now, the second thing is, this book is the only book ever that's ever said and given the documented facts that when it goes out, it doesn't come back void. It accomplishes the, pur the purpose that it's meant for. That's why some of you parents, you're so wore out and tired, 
because you've been arguing with your rebellious teenagers and you, you can argue, that's reasoning. You can't reason with somebody dumb as a sack of rocks. You got to deal with them with revelation. Amen? Revelation. Hey, instead of arguing with them, quote them the Word of God. Well, that means I'd have to read it. Yeah? That's pretty well what that means. You got to read it. And then you got to memorize it a little bit. Don't you know that wouldn't blow some teenagers' minds if some mamas and daddies started quoting some scripture? Hmm. You say, preacher, I don't know. Well, I'm going to tell you what. What you're doing is not working. Why don't you try it by revelation? You see, I'll go ahead just because it's the main one. Everybody thinks about. Everybody wants to think about, well, uh, tithing. It is reasoning to think that you can live better off of your 100%. It is revelation to think that you can live better off 90% with God. You've got reasoning and you've got revelation. But when you're dealing with lordship, you've got to choose. Listen, listen to me. You cannot say no Lord in the same sentence. If he's Lord, if he's master, all you can say is yes. Because he's Lord. So if you're saying no, Lord, I don't want to do that, you're arguing with the Lord. Well, let me hasten on here. We got a, he's learning to walk by faith. I'll just be a second here. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'm God Almighty, walk before me, be blameless, and I'll establish my covenant with, between me and you, and I'll multiply you exceedingly. You say, what does all this mean? It means it's an impossible story. It means that God specializes in the impossible more than the probable. Hmm. He'll let you live in the probable. Most of you probably came to church thinking you're going to hear a great music program. You're going to tolerate the preaching. Get out of here. Go to Golden Corral. Have lunch. Unless you're a deacon, you're going to get a sandwich then. But other than that, uh, you, you, you've got probably what's going to happen your whole rest of your day. And I'm telling you, would to God that some of us would come in this place saying, God, do the impossible. I'm looking at some of you that are impossible. I know some of you. I don't know all of you. I know some of you have been mean as a junkyard dog. I've heard, pe I've heard people in this church, when you'd walk in, they'd say, I don't know what in the world he's doing here. He is bad. But you know what? God specializes in the impossible. He can take somebody that's bad and make them good. Amen? Hey, don't settle for the probable. Let's start looking for some impossible things for God to do. Last thing, and I'm through. He's living by faith. Now, in chapter 22, you can begin, hopefully, to understand a little bit of why Abram would say, Abraham would say, all right, God, I'm going to take your word for it. I'm going to take my only son, Isaac, and I'm going to go and offer him up as a sacrifice. Why? Because God's already told him about obedience. 
God's already told him about living by faith. God's already told him to get out of the driver's seat and surrender all and let him have it. God's already told him about walking by faith, and now God is going to teach him in walking by faith. Everything else has been a, been a, been a, a, a lead up to chapter 22. Leaving, listen, leaving your homeland, not knowing where you're going, is a drop in the bucket when you're talking about killing your son. But all of them lead up. God has been faithful. God has been faithful. God has been faithful. And now God is telling me to do something that does not make reason. But I'm choosing to do revelation over reasoning. And I'm taking my son. I love this statement in verse 5. <laughs> Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here, I and the lad will go up yonder and worship. But that's not what he stopped with. He said, And come again to you. He done got faith enough to believe that if, according to Hebrews 11, if God allows him to kill his son, God's going to raise him from the dead. He said, Boys, y'all stay here with the animals. We're going to go up yonder on the hill and worship, and then we'll come again and see you a little later. Wow. Can you imagine? Now, it's important to follow God. Because, see, there's more than one hill out there. He said, I'll show you the hill. You know why he needed to show you the hill? Because the same time, in hmm, verse 6, I love that. The two of them walked on together. Verse 8, you, they took the wood to burn offering, laid on Isaac his son, took the hand of fire and knife. So the two of them walked on together. You know why it's important to listen to God? Because when God had them walking up this side of the mountain, he had a ram over here walking up this side of the mountain. And if they hadn't listened to God, they'd have been on the wrong mountain. Here Abraham was with his son coming up this side. Here God's got a ram coming up this side. I'd love to have been there. The son says, Daddy, here, here's the fire and here's the wood. And where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide a sacrifice. It's important to hear God. Now listen to this last thing. I'm almost through. If he would have took on an attitude like many of us do, even to the point I mean, some of us would just say right out, right, we ain't going to do it, God. That's crazy. That's just crazy. We ain't going to do it. We're not going to do it. But many of us would have gone a little bit further, you know. But if we'd have copped a bad attitude and said, God, I, I, I may do it, but I'll tell you one thing, I don't like it. You know the Spirit can't bless anything like that. The psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Do you realize that if he'd have copped an attitude and been out of the Spirit of God, that he'd have never heard that angel when she said, don't touch your son? He'd have never heard it. Mm. Well, they walked on together. The angel says, don't touch your son. God's 
prevision always dictates God's provision. God, before the beginning of the world, previsioned that we would be in sin and need a Savior. <laughs> his prevision dictated his provision of Jesus dying on Calvary. God's prevision always, you see, wherever you are, you say, preacher, you don't know where I am. No, but God knows your prevision. He knows where you are. He knew where Abraham and Isaac were. He knew where the ram was. He knows where you are. His prevision dictates what his provision is. You're not getting what I'm trying to say. Before Jesus was ever crucified on the cross, came to be born in a manger, before all of that happened, Jesus had already died in the heart of God. God had already previsioned it, and he had already died in the heart of God. His prevision dictates his provision. I... Uh, we, we, we desperately need, God needs pastors. They're quitting, dropping by flies. We need missionaries, ministers of music, youth ministers, children workers. And I see kids go to camp and they come back and say, God called me into the ministry. I said, great. Let's go toward that goal. They go home and talk with their parents and they say, son, you can't make a living doing that. Well, that, you, you need to go to college. You, you've got to get a degree. You've got to learn to trade. I'm here to tell you that you can make a living doing it. You can be blessed. I'll tell you one thing. I got more than I ever thought I'd have in my life. It is better to be in the will of God that's the safest place to be. It may be in Cambodia. It may be in... Do, do you know who the number one people being saved is in, in the world today per capita? Is Muslims. Number one group being saved, Muslims. You know why? Because they're figuring out that this Muhammad mess ain't real. No such thing. He's a false god. And when this world, and I want to tell you, there's a lot of people right now, we haven't seen anything what we're going through probably in the next few years. And I'm not just talking about presidency and all that stuff. I'm just talking about the morality of this country and the things that we've compromised over there are going to come back to haunt us. How about your life today? Abraham had to come to the point where the most sacred thing he had had to be sacrificed. Can you think about that? Can you say that? Uh, hmm. I'm not telling you now today to go out and sacrifice one of your kids. Do not do that. I don't care what they've done to you. I'm just telling you that in this place today, we got a lot of Isaacs floating around. 
It may be job. It may be security. I used to didn't preach on security very much until I hit 68. Security is important, <laughs> especially if you're in a Baptist church. Baptist church can turn like Texas in a New York minute, fire the, everybody. It may be your relationship. It may be a call to witnessing. The bottom line is you've got to come to a point where you say, Lord, I'm going to do revelation and not reasoning because it don't make any sense. God's never failed a single person. Maybe today, this morning, you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your, your Savior. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 was a rational man. He said, Lord, Master, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, be born again. He's rationally thinking. He's reasoning. How can I go into my mother's womb and be born again? That's reason. Revelation says you're born of the water and of the Spirit. Do revelation and not reasoning. I'm telling you that today, if God's calling you to be saved, you need to be saved today. You don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. Maybe God's calling you to move your church letter here. Come in and, and, and be a part of this. You say, preacher, I'm not sure I want to be a part of this. Well, get where you need to be a part then and serve the Lord. Because a lot of times when we're floating back and forth, that's really a good sign to just kind of do what we want to do and not do what God called us to do. Lord, you've heard our hearts. We've seen a man this morning that has walked by faith. And we all admire him. And Lord, we, we want to be obedient. We want to make you Lord. We want to walk with you, talk with you. But Lord, deep down, we're just not sure that you can really take care of every need we've got. And I pray today, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you'll speak. You'll speak, and we'll be able to walk out of this place saying, I know whom I have believed. In Jesus' name. Would you stand together? Brother Aaron leads us. This invitation, Brother Case is here, I'm here. These altars are available for you. If you'll come, come on right now. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling you. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling you. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today.
come to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior, isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is Love. 
just a moment let me make sure we're on the same page and we're out of here uh, don't forget tonight six o'clock uh, good music and great preaching brother case will be preaching and then afterward the preschool children's choir will be singing for us after that so it, it's going to be a hoot you do not want to miss it tonight six o'clock prayer room is going well up and going see bob wells if you need more information but I want to tell you, folks, prayer is where it's all at. It's where it's all at. We've got to pray. So sign up for that. Angel Tree is in the foyer. I think probably every name is off of it, I think. Uh, but, but be watching that. Those are, are children that we deal with on a weekly basis. And so there may be some more added in uh, that you can pick up at a later date here. It's coming soon. Christmas is going to be soon. Saturday night, whew, 6 o'clock. You remember how good Michael O'Brien is. And you remember how good the Photo Sisters are. We're putting Michael O'Brien and the Photo Sisters together for a Christmas concert, 6 o'clock, right here. I want to tell you, it's going to be supernatural, fragilistic, expialidocious. It's going to be wonderful. You don't want to be a, uh, miss that on uh, Saturday night. Now, listen to this. Game night is Friday night. We have a big wedding here that every... Thing is is uh, used Friday night so game night is being moved over to Mason Creek okay everybody say Mason Creek Mason Creek this game night's important there's a lot of fellowship a lot of food a lot of cheating uh, yeah, uh, yeah. uh-huh and if you, you go it'll be in the fellowship hall at Mason Creek okay 6 p.m. Friday night and then on your way out uh, I'll be honest with you February will be 50 years I've been in the ministry. And I want to tell you something. I have uh, never, ever in my entire life, and I've been in some wing dingers, I have never seen a business meeting go like ours did last Sunday night. It was something to behold. Now, it was all good. Wasn't nobody arguing or anything. It was just wonderful. It was tremendous. And... I'll just go ahead and tell you, you, you get a chance to vote on the budget, you can say yes or no. We didn't ask this, the church, 
finance team was already given the whole staff of the church, workers, everyone, a 10% raise. But they upped it Wednesday night to 12%, and then somebody amended that to up it to 15%. Amen. So your staff's going to have new shoes and clothes come January. <laughs> Amen? So <laughs> I've never been anything like it in my life. But the budget is out in the connection centers, both of them on this side and out the door. You vote yes or you vote no. There's no in-between. Don't take a ballot and put a question mark. Say yes or no, either one, okay? Uh, yes, okay. Is that good? All right. Praise the Lord. Let's see. We have this wonderful couple. Come right here, if you would, Jackie and Lori Campbell. And they come this morning by promise of a letter. They've been here. They love the Lord. They've been baptized and saved and, and love the Lord. Been in the choir and just a, a, just a great resource. And uh, if you, how are you going to welcome them? Do you want to? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Who do you all know best? Huh? You're not going to admit it. <laughs> Davis, you and Tammy. Oh, my soul. <laughs> Tammy, come on here. Add a little class to this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> come by and give them the right hand of Christian fellowship. It takes just a moment to vote. Please vote, okay? Uh, maybe if we could get some ushers, maybe to get those ballots and pass them out as they're going out the door, maybe you would vote quick and then throw it in the thing. You know, I know, I know that gun, we're late again. All right, stand with me. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I'm going to ask my brother Lonnie if he'll lead us in our closing prayer.